Blog Talk Radio. At Firefly Willows L-I-V-E, we're working hard to be your trusted source for fun, enlightening, and heart-centered information and community. And we're passionate about the art of transformative media, the new leading edge of communication in our highly connected, media-rich world. If you're passionate about facilitating change and you have gifts or ideas you'd like to share, come join us. Post a show or be a guest or connect us to an amazing speaker or teacher whose message is too good to miss. There's always room for courageous, knowledgeable changemakers, inspired artists, and new ideas. Let us know you're interested. Send an email to info at fireflywillows.com. We're Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E, helping you find and shine your inner light. Firefly Willows, L-I-V-E presents What's Your Prescription for Balance? Featuring your hosts, Dr. Glenna Calder. Good evening, and welcome to Watch Your Prescription for Balance, an internet radio blog show on Firefly Willow's channel. Watch Your Prescription for Balance exists to inspire, educate, and to trigger some curiosity about your health, your potential as a human being, and your life. I'm your host, Dr. Glenna Calder from Halifax, Nova Scotia. Tonight, we have a colleague of mine who has been traveling the globe the past few years, keeping up to date with the most current natural medical findings for both acute and chronic illness. He has an exceptional practice in Sackville, Nova Scotia. I'm thrilled to introduce Dr. Brian Raid, naturopathic doctor and founder of Sackville Naturopathic Health Center, to discuss his approach to chronic illness and to hear about his perspective on health. Dr. Raid, are you there? I am. Welcome. And I want to thank you for taking time tonight out of your busy schedule to join us. As a dad, a husband, and a doctor, I know your moments are precious. They are, and I'm happy to be here. So thanks for having me. Good. What's the weather a few miles away in Sackville? Uh, The weather is rainy. It's dark and rainy, so I'm happy to be inside. Okay, so it's not too different from uh, right into Halifax. I'm looking forward to chatting with you tonight and hoping you can summarize maybe the last 30 seminars you've been to? (laughs) (laughs) I'll do my best. Just joking. (laughs) We've had a few conversations about medicine in the past few years, and we've been to a few similar seminars. I know one we've both been to in San Diego, which was in biological medicine, Mm -hmm. but I haven't had the chance to ask you specifically why you chose to become a healer and to become a naturopathic doctor. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I went, uh, when I was doing my undergraduate education, I was really oscillating back and forth between, you know, medical doctor, naturopathic doctor. Um, I'd heard about naturopathic medicine. I'd been to CNND. I'd had some, you know, personally, I'd had some great results with uh, naturopathic medicine as a patient. I had friends and family members who had had good success, but at the same time, I was kind of, you know, drawn to that, um, you know, fairly, you know, what's per- portrayed to be a very exciting, fast-paced world of emergency medicine and, and or surgery, so I was really kind of torn between, you know, which path to take. Um, but I had the opportunity to go to um, CCNM, the Canadian College of Naturopathic Medicine, which uh, both of us attended um, for, for our naturopathic degrees. Um, 
uh, to attend uh, to be a student for a day and you know pretty much within half an hour of walking in the building and you know having a tour around and meeting some students and talking with some of the naturopathic doctors there I was just completely sold on naturopathic medicine and I knew that was exactly what I wanted to do and I uh, fortunately have never regretted that decision I've been very very happy with my profession and um, one of the things that I really love about being a naturopathic doctor and you may agree w- with me on this is that um, it's really great to be able to offer options to our patients that are sort of outside of the box. Um, I have so many patients that come to see me who have been to see, you know, countless practitioners and they've, you know, tried everything that's been available to them and or some in some cases just haven't met with any success whatsoever. And as NDs, of course, we have so many um, uh, different things that we can offer to our patients. So I, I really love that about our profession that we can uh, sometimes help those people who haven't been able to be helped in, in other uh, capacities. Oh, excellent. So, Brian, I didn't know, where did you go to school before CCNM? I did my undergraduate degree at the University of Western Ontario, which is in London, Ontario. So I did um, a three-year degree there in um, basically pre-medical sciences, and um, I also worked in a cell biology laboratory um, during the summers and during my third year, and um, I was accepted into CCNM uh, right away, and so I decided to just jump right into it and uh, and hop on the naturopathic bandwagon right away. Excellent. Okay, interesting. I didn't know that, how you got interested in it. And I didn't, I think the time when I went to school, I don't know many people that got up there to spend a day. I know myself, I spent a day with a local naturopathic doctor in Nova Scotia, and I had the same experience of within an hour or two, knew I had, I had nailed it. And, yeah, there wasn't anything in my eyes that I'd rather do. So thanks for sharing that. So within your day, as a when you have your naturopathic doctor hat on, what's what do you most enjoy? Uh, what I most enjoy is uh, basically the opportunity to help people. Um, I think one thing that you know most of our colleagues share in common is that we all got into naturopathic medicine to to help other people. I think most healthcare professionals um, have the same type of calling. So you know, my the thing I probably enjoy the most is when you know I have a follow up uh, visit with a patient who's doing well. Um, you know, it might be a patient who's feeling you know, 100% better. It might be a patient who is only feeling 10% better, but, you know, like one of those patients I alluded to earlier, they've never seen success in any capacity. And so 10% is, you know, uh, they're on top of the world with just that sort of initial uh, bit of progress that we're making. So um, seeing patients getting better is definitely the, the highlight of my, my, uh, my day um, uh, every day. So you treat a lot of chronic illness. I, I know that in what you're telling us now including chronic pain, and as the name suggests, patients have been dealing with this for for a while. It's not acute. And this often brings more um, challenging moments and difficult, I guess, situations for the patient as well as the doctor. So what skills do you feel that you specifically bring as Dr. Aid to the table when it comes to patients dealing with chronic conditions? I think that one of the big skills that I bring to uh, my patients with chronic conditions, whether it's pain or something else, is the sum total of the experience that I have having seen so many patients with chronic illness. Um, I know once upon a time when I saw my first few patients with chronic disease, it was 
it was a very steep learning curve, learning um, about what it's like to have um, chronic disease, but also starting to learn about the underlying causes of what can perpetuate chronic disease in patients. Um, one of the things that I think a lot of my uh, the new patients that come to see me who are suffering from chronic disease um, enjoy about seeing me as a practitioner is that I can tell them that you know I've seen lots of other patients who are having similar presentations to what they're presenting with. Um, when patients come in with fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue syndrome, um, chronic Lyme disease, um, chronic pain of unexplained origin throughout, you know, individual parts or throughout their entire body, um, you know, neurological disorders like MS or Parkinson's or um, patients coming in with cancer and, and all these are, these are the main conditions that I treat in my practice. Um, when the patients come in, I'm able to explain to them, um, you know, what I've seen with other patients and give them a sense of, you know, underlying causes, um, treatments that may be beneficial for them. And um, I think that patients, um, uh, I think, appreciate that they're not suffering alone. Um, they, they realize, I think they're um, um, on some level pleased to realize that, you know, they're not the, uh, just kind of that one case out of a million that, you know, they're, they're um, uh, I think there's a certain degree of validation, I think, that occurs with um, hearing that there are other um, patients who have had similar types of experiences. And, and I think, um, as I said, one of my um, uh, greatest benefits that I can bring is that I've um, had the opportunity to manage um, many, many um, chronic cases. Um, another thing that I bring to the table is, um, as you alluded to earlier, um, I do a lot of um, additional training. So I've had the opportunity to study with some brilliant doctors from, you know, many different parts of the world, um, you know, from North America, of course, from South America, from different parts of Europe, um, uh, from New Zealand, um, I think is probably the furthest uh, source of um, medical information that I've, I've had access to. Um, and uh, with doing all of this additional training, it's given me uh, different clinical skills that I can use with those patients to um, hopefully help them to, to achieve their health, health goals um, and also learning more about the underlying causes of disease as well. Um, there are uh, a number of different conditions that I screen for in my practice, whether it's um, having too much acidity in the body or it's issues with oxygen depletion or there's issues with elevated heavy metals or uh, patients are having different uh, types of microbial overgrowth, whether it's chronic viruses or bacterial or parasitic or yeast or fungal infections. Um, there are a number of different things that I screen for um, because once we know what the root cause of their illness is, or at least when we know, um, you know, one or several of the underlying um, uh, pathological factors that are present, then we can really formulate a treatment plan to try to figure out how to get them feeling better. Mm. You summarize that well, because that was a big question. Um, and so besides being a doctor and having therapies and having treatments to offer, it sounds like you also add that value of support because you have learned um, a ton about each of these chronic illnesses and traveling like you did and taking every opportunity to learn more. So you've got that to offer the patient's Besides letting them know, too, you've seen this, you, you're working with other individuals with the same or similar conditions. So that is valuable. Mm -hmm. um, as you mentioned, you've traveled extensively to, take, to further yourself and your skills as an MD. What areas of medicine have you enjoyed learning the most? Um, I think that um, pretty much all the uh, different chronic conditions that I uh, mentioned earlier are kind of, the, that's really where my passion lies is treating patients with chronic illness and, um, you know, so conditions like um, chronic Lyme and fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue and things like that, um, autoimmune disorders, um, chronic pain disorders, that's, that's um, 
really where a lot, a lot of my um, uh, interest and passion lies. I guess a couple, uh, one condition that I didn't mention in my earlier list, <clears throat> excuse me, is that um, I treat a lot of children on the autism spectrum as well. So that's another area that I'm quite uh, passionate about as well. Um, you know, in my practice, I, I have a fairly large pediatric focus. Um, you know, most of my pediatric patients are children on the autism spectrum, but um, I also have children who have Asperger's, which is a sort of a milder form of autism, if you will. Um, also, OCD and Tourette's and um, ADHD as well. Um, one of the um, uh, reasons that I'm so uh, passionate about um, treating pediatric patients is I have a son myself, and um, just basically as soon as I became a father, I, I had a um, immediate uh, uh, increased vested interest in the health and well-being of children. So I, I really enjoy um, the pediatric portion of my practice as well. So learning more about uh, you know new therapies and whatnot for autism is quite exciting. And in the autism community, it's very um, it's a very good community of individuals to work with because um, the parents of the children on the autism spectrum are so passionate and invested in the health of their children. It's one thing to be passionate about your own health and trying to make yourself better, but um, when it's your child that's involved, then, you know, suddenly it's kicked up, you know, 10 notches on the scale of, of um, uh, interest in, in trying to pursue those things. So it's really great, um, you know, collaborating with uh, the parents of my autistic patients because, you know, they do so much reading and so much research, and I only have so many hours in the day. Autism is just one of many chronic conditions that I focus on, and so, you know, the parents of uh, those autistic patients, they, you know, will bring new things to the forefront saying, have you heard of this? And, you know, oftentimes I have, but when I haven't, then I know what I'm going to be doing that evening or that weekend, um, you know, doing further research and things like that. So, um, but yeah, those are the uh, some of the conditions that I'm the most passionate about uh, learning about. Mm. I think it sounds like you have a hard time choosing because those are quite a few conditions. <laughs> it is, yeah. No, I, I won't commit to just one. No, I can't. It's, uh, it's too many. So I'm going to ask you, ask that question another way then. I'm going to ask you, of the courses you've taken, what has been one of your favorites? <clears throat> that is very challenging because um, I can answer it from so many different um, angles. Um, I suppose if I had to say one, it would probably be the um, – uh, there's a course that's uh, or a series of courses that's offered that are offered by a, a medical doctor named uh, Dr. Thomas Rao, who's a medical doctor from Switzerland, and he runs a clinic in Switzerland called the Paracelsus Clinic, which is, uh, to my understanding, one of the biggest or the biggest um, uh, integrative health centers in the entire world. And he comes to North America periodically to lecture. And he lectures on something called biological medicine. Um, biological medicine is sort of like the European counterpart of naturopathic medicine. Um, to the best of my understanding, and I haven't yet been to Europe, um, however, um, to my understanding, uh, talking to European practitioners, they don't really have a full concept of you know, what a naturopathic doctor is over there. They, um, they sort of conceptualize it more as what they call biological medicine. And biological medicine is you know, similar to naturopathic medicine in that it talks about finding the root cause of disease and taking a holistic approach to medicine and using things like herbs and homeopathic remedies and acupuncture and IV therapies and things like that to help achieve um, healing results in patients. Um, but biological medicine, it's it's different than naturopathic medicine in that some of the treatment techniques that are used and some of the underlying uh, conditions or factors that are assessed for are different. And so um, in studying with Dr. Rao, it, it 
in a very condensed sort of form, it was sort of like getting a, a kind of a European version of a naturopathic degree, if you will, um, because, you know, when learning with him and spending, you know, days and days uh, learning his method, it was uh, fantastic to sort of see the, um, his slant and his angle on how uh, he, he approaches medicine. So um, his his teaching seminars, he, they're done in three parts. So I've done uh, modules one and two, and, uh, and actually in about two weeks, I'm flying down to New York to do his third module. So I'm going to spend four days down there and learn um, the, um, more from him. So I'm incredibly excited about that. So I think uh, probably learning from Dr. Rao is, if I had to choose, um, if you're putting me on the spot and making <laughs> I would I would say I'd say that one, but um, there have been so many great ones. It's very hard to choose. Excellent. Well, I'd be surprised if you didn't. I I've had the opportunity I think twice to hear him speak, and I'm reading one of his books now. And I agree, he's phenomenal, and I think he's he's brilliant, and definitely added a different aspect to my practice also. Great. So so uh, uh, I'm glad I got you to nail that one down. <laughs> so can you give us some examples of? different types of chronic pain that you might see that patients are dealing with in your practice? Absolutely. Um, so many of the patients who come in with chronic pain, they sort of fit into one of two different categories. So one category is patients who are suffering from some kind of musculoskeletal pain, so meaning something affecting their muscles, their bones, their joints, something like that, or possibly tendon, tendons and ligaments or nerves and things like that. Um, so those patients would be patients that have, say, osteoarthritis or maybe rheumatoid arthritis, or um, they've suffered a car accident and they've had a you know a post-whiplash injury, or they have a rotator cuff injury or sciatica or something like, or low, just run-of-the-mill low back pain. Um, so um, those are uh, sort of one ca- the musculoskeletal category of patients that I see. The other category of patients with chronic pain are patients who are suffering from conditions like fibromyalgia or chronic Lyme disease or um, other types of, say, autoimmune disorders and, and things like that. So more uh, what I classify more as uh, systemic um, chronic pain conditions. So um, when it comes to treating chronic pain, I've seen many patients in, in both of those groups and categories. And the treatments that I use will re- really vary a fair bit depending on whether they're in category one or category number two. Um, in category number one, a lot of the additional training that I've done is where um, I, I, I bring those skills into category number one when I'm treating musculoskeletal conditions. So there's a therapy that is called <clears throat> excuse me, neural therapy, which involves injecting uh, locally acting anesthetics into different painful areas of the body or injecting them into um, uh, nervous system hubs that um, ultimately work to control or innervate different parts of the body and using those locally acting anesthetics to have a pain-resolving effect and really um, trying to break the pain cycle. Uh, when patients have musculoskeletal pain that's been persisting for months or years and or decades, they... Um, oftentimes, oftentimes their uh, nervous system has sort of got stuck in this pain-causing pattern where they can't seem to break that loop. Normally, we get injured, we recover from the injury, and then we're off to the races and we're feeling fine. Um, sometimes the nervous system doesn't cooperate in that way, and we wind up with these chronic pain patterns. So the neural therapy injections can work really well for that. Um, there's another therapy that I learned from a medical doctor um, from New Zealand. Um, I unfortunately didn't get to travel to New Zealand to study with him. He came all the way mm-hmm. to Brazil, so I, we kind of met him halfway, so to speak. Um, and it's called neural prolotherapy. Um, 
despite the fact it's called neural prolotherapy, it really doesn't have much to do with neural therapy. They like to make confusing names to, I think, confuse doctors and patients alike to describe <laughs> these different techniques. But with neural prolotherapy, it's an, um, another injection therapy that involves administering a special type of um, sugar solution called dextrose into um, painful points along nerve pathways that are affected. So when patients are suffering from conditions like, say, you know, a whiplash type injury or sciatica or um, low back pain low back pain associated with a herniated disc, then neural prolotherapy tends to be very effective in helping to address that type of pain. Um, then, you know, I was working with neural therapy, neural prolotherapy for, for you know, a significant period of time, and then I learned about something else called ozone therapy. And there's a brilliant medical doctor uh, from Reno, Nevada, named Frank Schallenberger, who um, does training uh, for doctors who want to learn more about ozone therapy. And what he has really pioneered in North America is doing something he's termed prolozone. And prolozone involves injecting ozone um, into um, joint tissue, into muscles, into um, uh, 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 intervertebral discs, so the, the discs that are between the different vertebrae and the spinal column, to basically heal and repair those tissues. And so um, with ozone therapy, that's something that in my experience has been the most effective treatment to address any kind of a joint pathology. So if patients have osteoarthritis or rheumatoid arthritis or really any type of, or even if they've had, say, um, uh, say a meniscal tear or a ligamentous tear or injury inside of a, inside of a joint, then infusing ozone into the joint through the injection therapy called prolozone has been by far the most effective thing that I've worked with to help um, resolve those conditions. And I've had many patients who have come into my office saying, you know, I'm scheduled for, you know, knee replacement surgery or hip replacement surgery in the next couple of months, but I heard about this therapy. Can we give it a try? And more often than not, the patients wind up canceling their surgeries and they don't have to go ahead with um, having their, their knee joints replaced because we're able to get their pain um, under control either fully or, you know, say 75 to 90% of the way um, using these types of therapies. So um, there, there are a number of different uh, sort of advanced um, integrative therapies like the ones I just mentioned that can be used to help address those um, Category 1 uh, musculoskeletal type chronic pain issues. Um, <clears throat> I feel like I've been talking for a long time, so maybe I should take a break. Well, I have a, well, I have a question, but, actually. Sure, so yeah. When you, yeah, you mentioned that you've helped patients who were going into knee replacement surgery mm-hmm. um, have less pain with the ozone treatment. Mm-hmm. And do you find that there's any, do you feel that there's any decreasing um, or slowing down the degeneration of cartilage in between those, the joint area, the joint space? Um, I think that there likely is. Um, <clears throat> each year they have a, um, a, a seminar or a conference, rather, um, put on by the American Academy of Ozonotherapy um, down in Dallas, Texas. And um, my wife and I, who, um, who is a naturopathic doctor as well, we went to um, the seminar that they put on back, or the conference they, went, they put on back in April. And one of the doctors that was presenting there um, was putting up um, slide after slide after slide showing before and after pictures of different joints that he had treated with um, prolozone therapy. And the before pictures would show basically you know, your classic bone-on-bone osteoarthritis. So the cartilage had virtually all been worn away, or there was only just the, you know, a hair-thin layer 
layer of it left. And then the after pictures, after a patient had had, you know, maybe five or ten um, prolozone treatments, um, was showing this, you know, beautiful-looking cartilage. And you say, oh, wow, that's the knee of a, you know, a 20 or a 30-year-old. And lo and behold, it's the exact same knee that was treated with um, prolozone therapy. So um, I, I personally believe that there is certainly some uh, a protective effect against um, card further cartilage loss. Um, I have a strong suspicion that there's cartilage regrowth um, based on the evidence that's been presented. Um, one of the challenging things is that despite the fact that ozone therapy has been extensively studied, they've done hundreds and hundreds of studies on um, the um, effects of um, ozone therapy in, in humans, um, they, to the best of my knowledge, they haven't yet done studies showing, um, you know, specific amounts of cartilage regeneration. So I'm always a little bit conservative in the claims that I make about prozone therapy. Um, I can, you know, say to anyone that, you know, working with prozone therapy very, very often will see a significant reduction, if not a complete um, alleviation of pain associated with a joint pathology. Whether or not there's cartilage regrowth, you know, we'd really have to do before and after um, radiographs or x-rays in order to see if that's what's going on. But I, uh, you know, if you look at the pharmacology and the, uh, or rather, if you look at the biochemistry of what happens when ozone is infused into a joint, um, you know, there's a release of molecules that help to reduce inflammation, um, that help to promote um, tissue growth and repair, and that help to um, lead to fairly immediate pain relief. So with all of those things in, in the mix, I don't see how cartilage couldn't possibly regenerate, um, but it's, I'm still a little bit conservative about the, the claims that I make about what the ozone's doing. But uh, that's, I, I think it has a protective effect for sure. And I think from a patient point of view, if there's decreased pain, well, then they're happy. And there's decreased pain that tells us there's decreased inflammation. So those are important things. Absolutely. For sure. So I'm going to ask you a question that I think the listeners might be wanting to ask is, is it painful doing, is prolozone painful or is prolozone therapy painful for patients? Uh, that's a really good question. And I talk to patients are always wondering about that because they hear like, oh, this looks fantastic, but is it going to hurt like the Dickens? Um, <laughs> one thing to, that's really important to differentiate is that sometimes as soon as people hear the, the um, prefix prolo, they automatically think of prolotherapy. And prolotherapy and prolozone therapy are totally different things. So prolotherapy involves injecting different types of uh, what are called um, um, hyperproliferative agents into joints or ligaments or tendons to help stimulate um, joint um, uh, or tendon or ligamentous uh, growth and repair. And prolotherapy has been used for a really long time, and, you know, prolotherapists get fantastic results with what they do. Um, I've studied prolotherapy as well, um, and the only reason I don't use prolotherapy in practice is because I see such great results with prolozone therapy. Um, the main reason that I don't use, um, the, the reason that I choose pro, prolozone therapy, which is ozone injections versus prolotherapy, is that prolotherapy hurts like the Dickens. It takes a lot, and, and I don't want to offend any prolotherapists who might be listening, and I'm sure maybe in some cases it's not all that painful, but to my understanding, anyone who's had prolotherapy done or any patients I've done it on um, report that there is a significant amount of pain associated with the treatment, and oftentimes there's um, a Patients have to really take it easy on the joint or the, the area that's been treated um, after the treatments are done because it takes a fair bit of time to recover. The nice thing with prolozone therapy is that it's an incredibly well-tolerated treatment. It does involve a needle being inserted, so there's certainly a poke associated with that. Um, sometimes as the needle is reaching um, its final resting place inside of the joint, there can be a little bit of nerve pain associated with that, but patients have typically reported that being not more than maybe a 2 or a 3 on a 10-point scale, so where one is 
virtually no pain. 10 is really bad pain. Um, it's, patients never report that it's worse than, say, a 2 or a 3 out of 10, or, or with rare exception, it might be higher than that. Um, once the needle is inserted in the joint, then 95% of the time, that's the end of the sensation associated with the treatment. You know, as the, there's a locally acting anesthetic that's infused into the joint first, and that basically numbs up the joint on the inside, and then the ozone is infused um, through the exact same needle. So there's there's only one poke that's involved with the treatment, and as the ozone is being infused into the joint, the patient shouldn't feel anything because the inside of the joint has been uh, numbed up by that um, locally acting anesthetic. So um, there are certainly exceptions to the rule, and you know, as I say, about 95% of the time, there's no discomfort felt after that initial poke going in. Um, occasionally, if people are really sensitive or if they have the type of physiology that ca um, causes locally acting anesthetics to take a long time to kick in, sometimes there can be some discomfort. But what I've learned from experience is that if we just go nice and slow, um, the, the discomfort rate is, is virtually nil. So it's a very, very well-tolerated treatment, and patients are able to go about their normal activities immediately thereafter. Um, from my own personal experience, I play a fair bit of sports, and I uh, had wrenched my knee playing uh, playing a sport the one day, and I asked my wife, who I mentioned is a naturopathic doctor as well, who's also trained in, in uh, um, ozone therapy, to inject my knee um, because it was, it was hurting. And so um, she injected my knee, and then I said, okay, I'm off to go play my next game. I, went, I had a game maybe half an hour later, and she said, what are you doing? Your knee's full of procaine and like a local anesthetic and ozone. Like, should you really be doing this? And I said, it's totally fine because um, <laughs> it's just going to be absorbed really quickly. And granted, my knee felt a little bit full, but I was, you know, running full tilt, and actually I played one of the best games of my life afterwards. So um, I don't know if we can quite say that prolozone will make you a better athlete, but um, it did for me <laughs> in that one particular instance. And um, yeah, I played, you know, high-intensity sport um, within half an hour of having an injection and, you know, felt no worse. Oh, my knee felt great, and I felt no worse or wear for it. So um, the prolozone is really well tolerated, um, and it's just always important to note that there's a big contrast between prolozone and prolotherapy because they achieve similar ends, but they're administered in a totally different way. Excellent. Well, that's great. That's reassuring for anybody who wants to try it to either look it up or to call your clinic. That's great. So I'm going to give you um, a break so you can either fill up your water or your tea, and the listeners can fill up your tea. A quick minute, and we'll be back for Watch Your Prescription for Balance. As promised, we're always thinking of ways to bring you a fresh new perspective. Check out this lineup of our newest shows, the Amethyst Oracle, Divination with a Queer Twist, featuring Firefly Willow's L-I-V-E favorite, Heisey Lutmers, and his co-host, Charlie Harrington, on the second Tuesday evening each month. A Shamanic Life, hosted by John Carousella, on the first and third Tuesday evenings each month. What's Your Prescription for Balance? With Dr. Glenna Calder, the first Thursday afternoon each month. And Evolve, with Robin White Turtle Lisney, the third Thursday afternoon each month. Introducing our newest show, the second and fourth Saturday mornings each month, From Beyond, with mother-daughter psychic mediums, Nadia Shapiro and Dr. Barbara Williams. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows L-I-V-E. We hope you're enjoying this broadcast of Firefly Willows L-I-V-E on Blog Talk Radio. For information on Firefly Willows, please explore our website, fireflywillows.com, or like us on Facebook. 
Welcome back to Watch Your Prescription for Balance. I'm your host, Dr. Glenna Calder, naturopathic doctor in Halifax. And this evening, we're listening to Dr. Brian Reed from Sackville, Nova Scotia. He has a practice there. He's also a naturopathic doctor and treats many conditions and all ages, but has a specialization in chronic illness. And we're talking to him tonight because he has taken in many seminars around the globe and has many tools and has upgraded his skills extensively in the last few years. So we're having a conversation tonight about chronic illnesses and we've just talked a little bit about chronic pain and we've got some more questions to ask Dr. Raid. But if you've missed the first part of the show, you can always go back on to the link at any time. Um, the link would be on Watch Your Prescription for Balance's Facebook or my Facebook, Dr. Glenna Calder. ND, or you can also go onto the Firefly Flywillows website to find it. So, Brian, are you there? I am. Great. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for the first um, bit of the show. We've gotten a lot of information about the conditions you treat, what options there are available for patients, and all the, the different courses you've taken. I think you've done a great summary of the last, I think, 20 or 30 seminars you've taken. <laughs> uh-huh. I was joking about that, but I think you've given us a lot of great information. I'm, I'm glad you think so. I was wondering if you could talk about the importance of diet in terms of treating all health conditions, but specifically in helping patients decrease their pain. Sure. Um, yeah, I find that diet and nutrition is of paramount importance for health in general. So if a person is wanting to maintain um, current good health, then optimal diet is is key. And if a patient has any kind of a health imbalance going on, then diet is really important as well. Um, As far as chronic pain goes, the if if the diet is not um, optimal, then you know the body's going to tend to be more acidic, for example, and a more acidic environment tends to breed more inflammation in the body. So uh, more infram- more inflammation is going to aggravate or exacerbate or possibly even cause a number of um, underlying conditions in you know the joints and muscles and nerves, etc. So most of the underlying uh, types of chronic pain that are present, I think diet plays a big role in that. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, with a lot of other chronic pain conditions, um, you know whether they're things like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or rooted in autoimmune disorders or um, other systemic conditions, diet's also incredibly important. Um, you know, one thing that we know as naturopathic doctors and something that they've found in the scientific literature over the course of time, although we as NDs knew it a lot longer, uh, longer, uh, much much more before they found it out in the scientific literature, that consuming foods that one is sensitive to absolutely exacerbates and aggravates a lot of those um, conditions. Um, you know, eating the wrong types of foods can cause a more uh, increased permeability or sort of a, a leakiness in the gut, and that can, you know, lead to the formation of more um, uh, antibodies against the body's own healthy tissues that can contribute to different um, autoimmune conditions. And that's, you know, autoimmunity is something that seems to be implicated in a lot of chronic um, pain conditions, not just known autoimmune disorders like say, um, you know, lupus or rheumatoid arthritis um, or MS, but also um, other conditions that aren't oftentimes associated with autoimmunity but seem to have an autoimmune component like fibromyalgia. So by addressing the diet and trying to have a nice, um, clean, sort of anti-inflammatory, hypoallergenic diet can have a huge impact on um, optimal um, health and wellness, particularly with respect to chronic pain. So in your practice, do you test to for patients to find out or to maybe narrow down which foods they should avoid? 
I do. Um, I will um, occasionally do blood tests to determine if there are food sensitivities. Um, I also oftentimes recommend uh, something called a hypoallergenic diet um, or an elimination diet where we, I recommend that the patients cut out the most common culprits that will uh, typically be food sensitivities and um, see how the patient's feeling over the span of you know one or two months as they're reducing those foods in their diet. Um, what I found in a lot of my chronic pain patients is that they'll, uh, particularly if they have more systemic causes of chronic pain like fibromyalgia or chronic fatigue or Lyme disease or things like that. So I find that a lot of these patients are you know, typically quite motivated. They're self-motivated. And before coming in, they've oftentimes tried, you know, say, a gluten-free diet or a sugar-free diet or what they'll call an anti-yeast diet or these types of things that, you know, in many cases work incredibly well for patients. Um, but um, in many cases, patients will come in and they're that they've worked with these diets, but they're still having significant symptoms, or that in some cases they haven't noticed any relief whatsoever. And in some of these patients, they're having chronic digestive disorders too, which, you know, making these types of dietary changes oftentimes helps to significantly improve, if not resolve, a lot of these chronic digestive issues. And so one thing that I learned about through uh, one of the um, seminars that I've attended is that there's a fairly common condition that I've been seeing popping up called small intestine bacterial overgrowth, or SIBO, or we call it SIBO for short. And with, when SIBO is present, um, a gluten-free diet or an anti-yeast diet or even a, you know, a sugar-free diet or all of those things in combination um, aren't going to hit the nail on the head to resolve this small intestine bacterial overgrowth. Um, there's a specific diet called the specific carbohydrate diet, or it's also known as the GAPS diet that typically needs to be followed to address the small intestine bacterial overgrowth. And we also need to work with things that are, that are going to help to kill off the overgrowth of bacteria in the small intestine because, as the name suggests, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, there's too much bacteria in the small intestine. So oftentimes diet alone is not enough, but um, at the same time the diet is key to basically starve out those bacteria that are overgrowing. So a lot of my patients, um, uh, once I started testing, well, once I learned about um, the SIBO and started testing for it, I saw it coming up all the time in my practice. And so putting patients on that specific type of diet and working with the appropriate antimicrobial uh, substances to help kill off those bacteria um, has proven to be very valuable and really important in a, a large number of my patients. So when you say all, many of your patients are a lot of, could you take a stab at um, guessing what percentage of patients that you've tested have come positive on that? Uh, well, when I test patients... Um, 95% of the time I'm testing because I'm strongly suspicious that there's small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So it's, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's certainly a, um, a, a skewed um, group that I'm testing because I'm clinically highly suspecting that it's present. Um, I would say that easily 90% of the patients that I've tested have come back with a positive test result. Um, some of those patients, the positive test result comes back, it's suggesting a fairly mild overgrowth. In some cases, the numbers are just off the charts high, so it can range a fair bit. Um, but um, I'd say probably about 90% of the patients that I've tested, um, I would say that of all of the just kind of going off on a, on a tangent, talking more about just digestive um, disorders, I would say that of all the um, patients that I've seen with digestive conditions that haven't responded to kind of the typical first-line naturopathic therapies like a hypoallergenic diet and working with probiotics and um, gut healing herbs and things like that or acupuncture or things like that, I would say that of all the challenging cases that don't respond to the basics like that, I would say easily easily 75% of those patients seem to come back with small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So I'm finding it to be really, really common in my practice anyways. And when they follow the guidelines of diet and take the antimicrobial herbs that you recommend, does it take a while for them to see an improvement or is it fairly quick? 
um, I would say about 80% of the time in um, the patients who test positive for small intestine bacterial overgrowth, um, they are noticing significant changes within the first two to four weeks. Um, 20% of the time, it can take up to three months to see a significant change. And by significant, I'd mean more than, a, say, a 25% improvement. That's excellent, and I'm sure it's worth it for anybody suffering with digestive issues to give that a try. Mm-hmm. Do you find the patients find the diet, the GAPS diet, difficult to to stay on for a period of time? Um, it really varies a lot. Um, some patients dive into it and they just do it 100% of the way, and they don't they don't seem to have much of an issue with it. I mean, they certainly say they're putting elbow grease into it, but they don't seem to have much mm-hmm. of a problem. Um, and then on the other side of the spectrum, some patients seem to really have a hard time with it, and in some cases, they're really only achieving maybe a 50 to 70% compliance rate. Um, armed with that knowledge, when I do have a patient who's who I'm recommending the diet to, I give them that information. I tell them, you know, some people have a hard time sticking to the diet, and that's not the end of the world. It's much better for you to be eating 50% of the problematic food that you have been eating instead of eating 100% of the problematic food you've been eating. It's all really all comes down to trying to starve out those bacteria. So if you're giving them an all-you-can-eat buffet, they're going to eat, they're going to survive <laughs> rather a lot more easily. Whereas if you're putting them on, you know, a very calorie-restricted diet, they're not going to be able to survive nearly as well. Um, What I also tell patients, though, is that the patients who are the most compliant with the diet, they tend to um, have symptom resolution faster, so they don't need to stay on their supplements for as long, and they also don't have to go through the rigmarole of, you know, putting up with me in my office. So that's always, um, you know, I make lots of bad jokes, just like the one I just made, and so they're they're always very anxious to not have to see me all that frequently. So... um, uh, but but in all in all seriousness, um, you know, I've, I've certainly had patients who are not very compliant with the diet at all, and we've still seen really good results. But it's oftentimes taking two or three times as long to get the same results as we as we would get if the patient was being um, you know ninety to one hundred percent of the way um, on the diet. Excellent. So, in terms of other conditions, do you find um, is there any other specific diets that you that you use a lot in your practice for patients in for whatever health condition that you find also makes a big difference in their recovery? Uh, I would say that really the the main diets that I oscillate between are the the hypoallergenic diet, so basically a gluten-free, dairy-free, refined sugar-free diet, um, and then the GAPS diet. Um, So those are really the two main diets that I focus on in my practice. I don't really use a a whole lot of variation. Um, Once upon a time, I used to um, recommend a a low-carbohydrate diet for my diabetic patients, and I found with type 2 diabetes, it was if patients were compliant with the diet and taking their supplements, you know, we could really get their blood sugar levels, you know, under control very easily. Um, now I recommend the GAPS diet um, for those patients because it's not a uh, it's not a carb-free diet. It's not the Atkins diet by any means, but it's uh, very it's it's quite a bit lower in carbohydrates than what most of us are eating. Uh, most you know, the average North American um, consumes about 300 grams of carbohydrates per day. Um, a person with type 2 diabetes or type 1 diabetes, for that matter, um, you know, in my experience, typically does a lot better eating less than 100 grams of carbohydrates a day or even, you know, in certain cases, less than 50 per day. Um, One thing that's really important is that if patients are on taking insulin, um, they can't just go slashing their carbohydrates left, right, and center because, of course, their dosage is going to have to be adjusted to to accommodate for the lower amount that they're taking in. Um, But with the GAPS diet, I found I found that patients actually had an easier time following that than working with a sort of a carb restricted diet um, like that I had been recommending before. So for me, it's mostly hypoallergenic or GAPS. Those are the the two main ones for me. 
Okay. Well, that brings me to my question. Another question, when you mentioned the patients having to be careful when they're on insulin, adjusting and decreasing their carbohydrates drastically, is if there's some of our listeners that are on a list of met prescription drugs and they're considering seeing a naturopathic doctor, but they're worried about having to come off the drugs or possible interactions or side effects with nutraceuticals, what would you say to somebody who has these concerns? Well, I would say that that's a really good concern to have um, because, it, you know, I think that one thing that uh, my, my only concern with, say, you know, health food stores and things like that is a lot of the things that are available over the counter, um, you know, for patients to take, they're not necessarily, the, they're not going to be safe for every single person to take. You know, just because you can buy it over the counter doesn't mean it's a good idea to take it. And that's true of pharmaceutical drugs too. If you went home and, you know, consumed a whole bottle of ibuprofen, that would be a really bad idea. Taking one or two for a headache or joint pain, sure, you know, do that once in a while, but a whole bottle that's really going to damage your stomach lining, for example. It's the same thing with um, supplements. You know, if you're taking the wrong thing, if you're taking licorice root, for example, when you have, you know, high blood pressure, well, licorice root is well known to increase high blood pressure. So I think that um, it's it's definitely important for um, people to have those concerns. Um, you know, as you probably remember from your uh, naturopathic training as well, you know, we spent hours and hours and hours, you know, um, memorizing all of the contraindications for, you know, which herbs are not supposed to mix with what drugs and what nutraceuticals are not supposed to mix with, mix with with drugs and which minerals mm-hmm. and vitamins will interact and whatnot. So, you know, naturopathic doctors, we have such a, an amazing uh, amount of knowledge about the um, the the no-nos in terms of what you're supposed to combine and not combine when it comes to mixing natural medications with um, pharmaceutical medications. So I think that it's a really important concern to have. And I think if patients have that concern, they should mention that to their naturopathic doctor right away because um, sometimes um, that's not something that I will necessarily address with my patients. Um, you know, I run a very busy practice um, where when patients come in, especially with chronic health concerns, we're, we're punching the clock trying to discuss all the symptoms they've had and talking about treatment options and whatnot. And so when I give patients my list of recommendations for what they should do, I don't always remember to tell them, oh, by the way, these are all safe to take with your medication um, that you're currently on. Um, I, My brain thinks that, oh, well, they should assume that I'm not going to put them on something that's going to be harmful. But, of course, you know, not everybody's aware of all the education that we have as naturopathic doctors. So I think it's just an important thing to have that conversation right from the get-go with your ND, and they should be able to give you a more than satisfactory answer to tell you which things are going to interact and which are not with the medications that you're already taking. Excellent. That's reassuring for for listeners I know. Um, I guess I had another question because I know that a lot of a lot of times I hear these questions, and I think it's good to to go over now. Is if there's listeners in the audience that have have been thinking about seeing a naturopathic doctor, but they're worried. They're worried that they can't follow through on the lifestyle changes, and so they're hesitating and maybe thinking about it for you know it could be a, a year or two. Worried that they're not going to be able to um, succeed in the the lifestyle changes. Is there anything you could say to our listeners to maybe explain how naturopathic doctors deal with that? Sure. Um, So when it comes to working with a naturopathic doctor, one of the things that I think that most of our colleagues um, do, and I certainly do this in my practice, is, you know, we check in with our patients. Um, One of the luxuries that we have is that when we set up follow-up appointments, we, you know, we're usually having at least, say, a 30-minute follow-up appointment, sometimes maybe only 15 minutes with with a follow-up visit for a patient, but we have enough time to say, you know, how are you making it with things? You know, how are you feeling? Are we getting success with the treatments that we're working with? But also, how are you making it with things? How are you doing with the diet? You know, diet's always the biggest one that comes up. Exercise is a challenge sometimes, too. Um, But if patients 
come back and say, you know, I'm only doing the diet 20% of the way, then we can talk about that and we can, if you know, see, okay, what are the obstacles you're having? And sometimes it's just having an issue, not um, being fully... Um, not fully understanding, you know, why the recommendation has been made for a certain type of diet, or you know, what kind of what kinds of good alternatives are there for gluten? You know, like if I can't eat gluten, what the heck can I eat? And some people feel like if I can't eat gluten, I can't eat anything, and nothing could be further from the truth. Um, there are so many gluten-free options out there. So sometimes it's just a matter of education, and then other times it's just a matter of life being really busy. You know, uh, many of us have kids, we have demanding jobs, we have so many responsibilities on our plate, and sometimes making drastic dietary changes can be challenging. So in those cases, we either talk about just, you know, doing the best that they can until such a time that life calms down a little bit, or we dial things back and say, okay, instead of trying to cut out gluten and dairy and refined sugar, let's focus first and foremost on the gluten and just don't worry too much about the dairy and the refined sugar for right now. And we we go from there. Um, It's also important, though, that our patients um, have are making an informed decision about their lifestyle choices. Um, as I mentioned earlier in the conversation, um, when working with patients with the GAPS diet who have the small intestine bacterial overgrowth, if they're following the diet, they don't have to take their supplements for as long, they get better faster. At the end of the day, as long as the patient gets better, that's really all that I care about. If it takes three months or it takes a year, you know, as long as they're getting better and they're um, happy with the progress that they're making and they're making an informed decision knowing that their compliance with lifestyle recommendations are having an impact, then that's totally fine. So um, naturopathic doctors are... I've yet to meet a, a crotchety naturopathic doctor. So <laughs> if a patient comes in and says, I haven't been doing my homework very well and haven't been following all of your recommendations, um, I, I, nobody's going to get a scolding or a finger wagging um, at them. It's, it's you know, we're going to work together and try to figure out what we can do to make things work or just, you know, compromise and, and figure out the best plan that we can based on a person's individual circumstances. Great. That's a great point that wherever you're at, whatever stage you're at, whatever you're ready for, there's a plan or a protocol that will meet you where you're at, and the patient does is the one in charge, and it's it's the patient's health, and they're they've got to want it as much or more than the their naturopathic doctor themselves. So it's it's up to them what they can handle at that time. So that's a great point. Mm-hmm. So I know in your practice you treat a lot of different things, and men, women, children, um, and seniors. And I'm wondering what most of your patients. Once they start to see you and they start having consultations with you, what do you think surprises the most about naturopathic medicine? That's a good question. Um, I think that one of the things that they're uh, surprised about is the extent of different conditions that we treat. Um, patients will come in, you know, for, you know, headaches or, you know, irritable bowel syndrome or something like that, and then they'll say, oh, you know, my mom's going through cancer treatment right now, and I'll say, oh, you know, I'm sorry to hear that, and, you know, just so you know, I do have an integrative um, practice. I, you know, I, I do a lot of integrative oncology in my practice, and so if she ever wants to come in for a consult, we can absolutely talk about some of the options that can be worked with to maybe, um, you know, I- increase the efficacy of her chemo or radiation therapy or reduce the side effects associated with them or work with some natural treatments that are going to help to try to make her body a less hospitable environment for cancer cells to grow in. And the patient will say, oh, I didn't know you could do anything for cancer, and you know, then they're very surprised about that or same thing with you know autoimmune disorders or or even just pain patients will come in and say oh well you know if if a person has a sore back they'll think you know chiropractor first and foremost or massage therapist and they might think acupuncture they might think um, you know physiotherapist Um, they're usually not you know naturopathic doctor I don't think we make it into the top four let alone you know the top five or six Um, however you know 
even uh, naturopathic doctors who haven't done you know extensive studying in different pain management uh, modalities like I have, um, we're, we we graduate with some fantastic anti-pain modalities. You know, we're taught to do spinal manipulations. We're taught to do different massage techniques. We're taught to do acupuncture and using herbs and homeopathics to treat pain. So um, I think patients are oftentimes surprised that we can treat pain at all. Um, and, and they're usually pleasantly surprised to see that we can do some really effective things for treating pain. So I think the biggest surprise for them is kind of the scope of things that we're able to deal with. Mm. Right. And what about you yourself? What surprised you the most about naturopathic or biological medicine since you, since you started practicing? I think that the thing that surprised me the most was how much there is to learn. I graduated school. <laughs> wow, I spent four years at a you know doing full time study. <laughs> I spent a lot of my my hard earned uh, time and um, my my time and my uh, blood, sweat, and tears getting this naturopathic degree, and then you know getting out into the world realizing oh there's other things to learn, and then you learn more, and then you realize ultimately you just keep on learning how much you don't know, and you realize you know I have all of my you know travel plans and seminars um, all planned out for the next five years. You know, there's so many things that I haven't yet learned. And um, that that's one of the things that surprised me, but it's also one of the things that I'm the most pleased about with naturopathic medicine um, because I, I really love learning new things. I get very excited about going off and, you know, studying new techni- techniques and studying with different doctors and going to conferences and getting just to um, correspond with, with other naturopathic doctors or integrative medical doctors, um, swapping, you know, information about experiences and ideas. And it's a very, I think it's a very, very exciting um, field to be in. And so um, it was certainly a surprise how much I had to learn and how much I still have left to learn, but um, it's it's very enjoyable, and I, I really love that about my profession. Hmm. Well, when I answered that question, I think you surprised me with your answer because I, I was thinking, I guess, too up close about what therapy um, results or what type of patient surprises you, but you're right. Um, I'm laughing because I never even thought of that as an answer, but it is shocking at how much more there is to learn, and the more you learn... Yep. the more you realize there is to learn. <laughs> Absolutely. Yep. Excellent. So for patients and listeners that are here with us tonight or that will be listening to our recording, can you give any resources or websites or books that you could suggest that you feel is a, you know, some of your favorites to recommend or that you've read yourself that you think would help patients learn a little more about naturopathic medicine and biological medicine and what they can do in their own healing? Absolutely. Um, so uh, two books that I would recommend. Uh, one is um, called The Swiss Secret, and that's by Dr. Thomas Rao, who I mentioned earlier. So Rao is spelled R-A-U. And The Swiss Secret is a book that um, goes over, it talks a lot about diet, which is a really um, important thing in, in naturopathic medicine slash biological medicine. Um, and it's something that, you know, patients can um, pick up the book and, you know, Read, read through his work and really start doing a lot of things to help address the um, some of the most underlying uh, some of the most important underlying factors of their health. You know, notably, you know, diet, exercise, lifestyle things. Um, Dr. Rao also talks a lot about trying to alkalinize the body, so taking the body from a, an acidic state, which tends to be more disease 
friendly and turning it into a more alkaline state, which tends to be a very anti-disease state to be in. So uh, Swiss Secret, it's a really easy read, and it's, um, it's, it's a really good book. So I highly recommend that. And I also recommend another book by a medical doctor named Simon Yu. Um, Yu is spelled Y-U. And his book is called The Accidental Cure. And The Accidental Cure is a really interesting book. He talks about a lot of the more um, advanced uh, concepts in uh, trying to determine the root cause of disease. He talks a lot about um, underlying chronic infections that can contribute to different um, chronic disorders. He talks about um, the underlying role of you know, things like heavy metals and electromagnetic frequencies and uh, diet, of course, and um, a number of different factors. And he also um, outlines a lot of the um, more advanced therapies that can be worked with in integrative medicine as well. So he'll talk about different types of injection therapies and IV therapies and, um, and different types of assessment methods and things like that. So it's a really good um, snapshot looking at, or I should say a really good summary rather, of um, integrative medicine from more of a North American perspective, whereas Dr. Rao's book, The Swiss Secret, is really a good summary of biological medicine, which is sort of the European counterpart to naturopathic medicine. So those would be two of the, the, my favorite uh, resources to recommend to patients. Excellent. Those are good, great suggestions. And could you tell us um, how patients or listeners might be able to get a hold of you if they wanted to? Absolutely. So we have a website. Um, our clinic is called the Sackville Naturopathic Health Center. So just punching that into any search engine will bring up our, our clinic. Um, our website is sackvillenaturopathic.com. Um, our phone number is 902-252-3080. So if patients want to get in touch with the clinic, then any one of those methods will work just perfectly. Excellent. Okay. And I'd like to thank you, Brian, for um, also contributing and advancing naturopathic medicine in Nova Scotia. You've done a lot here besides helping to organize our annual conference for the Nova Scotia naturopathic doctors and added to that. You've also hosted some doctors from the West Coast so that your colleagues can also learn more in biological medicine and more in neurotherapy and biopuncture. So you've definitely added to my experience as a naturopathic doctor and because of that you're also helping patients in Nova Scotia. So I really want to personally thank you for that. And I'm looking forward to the next seminar you're going to hold at your clinic. <laughs> going to come up soon. I'll, I'll let you know. <laughs> Excellent. But thanks a lot for taking the time out tonight, Brian. And I want to thank our listeners for listening to us tonight. And if you would, if you're here tonight listening and you want to re-listen to it, you can always go back on the Watch Your Prescription for Balance Facebook page or my own Dr. Glenna Calder ND Facebook page, and the link will be there. And I want to remind you that our show is the first Thursday of every month at 7.30 Atlantic Standard Time. So thanks again, Brian, and have a good evening. Thanks for having me. Yes, we've added to our lineup of lively, thought-provoking shows. But don't forget our original Sunday morning lineup at 10.30 a.m. Join us for Healing Conversations with Mildred Lynn McDonald every first Sunday. Revolution with Heisey Ludmers every second Sunday. Convergence with John Carousella every third Sunday. And our popular on-air call-in show the fourth Sunday of every month. We're excited. Give us a listen as we continue to create new and entertaining ways for you to shine your inner light. Join us at Firefly Willows L-I-V-E.